Welcome to the Boathouse. I'm Ryan. I'm Wally. And I'm Grant, Defender of the Basic. Excellent. So this is a podcast where we complete a bracket of all three of our top 10 favorite movies of all times, plus some extras, uh, to determine which movie is the best of all time. Just remember, our decisions are final. Art is subjective. Our opinions are not. So uh, with that... This is the second round of the, or the second matchup of the first round of this bracket. And it includes the host versus 1917. Um, with that, I think I'm going to toss it to Wally so he can give a summary of the host for us. And then we can start discussing. Cool, cool. The host is a 20 or 2006 horror film by Bong Joon-ho. The movie is mostly horror, but throws in different genres, including some black comedy and satire criticizing the U.S. government and their relationship with South Korea. The movie follows uh, the dysfunctional Park family as the patriarch, uh, Gong-do, tries to rescue his daughter from the titular monster. And um, yeah, that's that's the movie in a nutshell. Excellent. So um, just... Another couple of things, like Wally said, uh, directed by Bong Joon-ho, released in 2006. It grossed $89 million worldwide uh, on a $10 million cost. So, I mean, that's a pretty substantial uh, money-back-making thing. Uh, Wally, I think you mentioned it was it was one of the top-grossing films of all time in South Korea. Yeah, uh, for a long time. And it's definitely the movie that put him on the map yep. in the U.S., and which would even be blown out of more in proportion with uh, the release of Parasite, another movie we'll talk about another time. Yes. So uh, interestingly enough, we have two Bong Joon-ho movies on this list. Um, Parasite wasn't any, on any of our lists as a favorite movie. It was actually a uh, my cop-out. So uh, it will be interesting to see how this one fares compared to that because I think, you know, critically, Parasite seemed to be significantly more successful in the United States, even though the host was very successful here but i feel like parasite got a lot more recognition so with that and i stand by what i said last time of it being the best monster movie god that's <laughs> it is it, mm. there's just so many good ones it's hard to just pick one but i would definitely hold this one up on a pedestal compared to a lot of other monster movies why because it's saying a lot of stuff it has good satire the character the characters are really good. The story is solid. I think there's just a lot of things that it has going for it. The monster is in it surprisingly a lot compared to a lot of monster movies where you just see the monster in the last five minutes. It's really cool. I forgot like how much like swinging around it does with its tail and everything. It's a lot of stuff that I enjoyed in this movie. Yeah, as far as the monster's design specifically, that's a, a fun thing to talk about because. Um, you know, the movie only had about an $11 million budget and nearly half of that went to just the visual effects for the monster. Um, and it, it shows. I mean, uh, I, I, think, I think the special effects still at least held up. They weren't yeah. spectacular, but- There was some uh, weird I love... like walking animations that were kind of janky while he's chasing people. Yeah, but I, I love the physicality of the monster. I, I thought um, the the way it moved along the bridge, that the unnatural swinging method yeah, that, that was it a lot used, of fun. <laughs> the, the sprints, the long uh, sprints along um, the, the riverbank. 
you know, a lot of these effect shots for this monster, especially when you're first introduced to it, are during the day, which is unusual for a monster film. So it's right gross. out the That's gate, a good point, yeah. you get a really good look at it. And I I think especially for that fact, the, the effects held up, you know, pretty well. I, yeah. I bought into the monster, um, which is more than I can say for some, some other uh, creature features I've seen. Yeah, just that opening, one of the opening scenes of like the monster attacking, like I think that's one of the best like monster attacks, like a populated area seen in like any monster movie. So it, yeah, sets it up strong and I think it has a pretty strong finish too. Well, and I think I read, I'm hoping I got this right, um, that it was, it was created for the film by Weta Workshops. They created the model, yeah, for it. They did like the maquette. So, I mean, that's like an insane name in the field of like character design i they did mm -hmm. all the lord of the rings movies it's um a pretty significant and that's why it costs so much um but uh yeah i i do have some criticisms of it <laughs> i i think there's there's some techniques that were must I, I i don't know if they were adapted beforehand but i'm pretty sure they were done before this movie that could have made this monster look and feel a little bit more in the world the close-up shots when it is an actual like physical character rather than being cgi or anything like that um i it, yeah you do get a different feeling from it but the the discrepancies uh i i will point out this is my my big criticism was when the guy has the molotov cocktail and is chasing after the monster and you're just sitting there waiting and wondering why he's not throwing it until it gets to a point where he throws it and then it cuts to a completely different shot where the monster is alone on the screen because they couldn't, they didn't have any ability for, if he threw something for it to interact with anything. In that instance, usually movies nowadays will have a stand in something, either it's a green screen or something. Tennis ball. Can throw a fit, well, it, it would be something bigger for this shot because they throw it at it. You'd see it hit a surface and disperse from there. Mm. um that <laughs> there was no attempt to uh make it feel more physical in the world at that instant in my opinion i wonder if they tried that and like maybe just didn't look so great because i know he wanted a lot more like monster shots in this but like with the budget as low as it was he had to like cut out a lot of shots so i wonder if there was like any half-baked and I would disagree in, in that I, I think there's plenty of instances of one-on-one -on -one interactions between the monster yeah, and our cast. Um, you know, the the, 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 <laughs> yeah, the the final scene. Uh, well, I you know why why am I jumping to the end? Let's let's stick in, in the intro. Um, the the girl on the beach in the yeah, headphones as the monster <laughs> sweeps by and and claws her up. I I think having such, you know, rather than going the large scale destruction approach, like a Godzilla or something like that, having it be just a smaller personal attack um, of, you know, just a few people in a park, I, I think helps make the monster scarier almost. It, it, by taking away that vast sense of scale and making it a real personal interaction and seeing it up close attack people I, I think did a uh, uh a good job at making it feel threatening yeah especially with how they start that scene of just like feeding it of just like you know just a bunch of assholes just like feeding this random animal and then like it just building from there of like now oh my god it's out of the water <laughs> it's walking straight towards us 
I, I I do agree in some instances, but there there were also instances where like it was clear the the actors had no idea where this monster was meant to be at the time. Like they would be running, but the monster would be right next to them, and they wouldn't they weren't provided with enough like special effects cues or anything like that to show. Okay, now the monster's here, so I don't know. And maybe this is just being too harsh on a movie that's now 15 years old. I don't know. I there was there were intimate scenes where it's the monster versus one character. You know, they're like especially when the girl is in her cage, um, and there's those instances where it's clear that it's an actual model and they're acting against the model rather than it being CGI or anything in those bigger scenes. I 100% agree that there was a lot of uh, of good instances where it feels more interesting because it isn't just a giant monster in what presumably is an empty city just destroying buildings and you know you maybe feel like there's people in there but they never show it so there's no real there's a disconnect but yeah and even with that like still it being a smaller monster they still gave it like grounded it a little bit but still did like ridiculous things like it's swinging around again I'll keep bringing that up was really entertaining and i forgot um that that was in the movie i've seen this movie a few times so i was surprised just the amount like with the fact that it was a smaller budget and they couldn't put the monster in as much as he wanted to he mentioned uh i saw an interview where he mentioned like jaws a lot of like how steven spielberg got around using the monster because he had an animatronic that he wanted to use for that movie but that thing kept on breaking so again you just you know when you have a smaller budget you got to get more creative but i think even within that constraint um you see the monster a lot of times compared to again a lot of other uh, monster movies and again with his powers like just the scene that was absolutely gross but a great monster feature thing just when it like pukes out all the bones yeah yep just like a single beer (laughs) comes out afterwards (laughs) Well, and I think that's a perfect comparison because, yeah, I mean, just the, the, like, I, I almost didn't like the reason I'm, I'm totally, I'm actually enjoyed this movie a lot is because of the sheer, like them fogging these areas, these big areas and stuff like that. Like it does feel like Jaws. I don't really care about seeing the monster all that much. Like, even if I didn't see it all that much and it was more of a shadowy figure, just seeing the, the amount of like spatial usage to show oh my gosh there's this huge situation happening and we're we're fighting against this thing it does seem a little bit i if if we're going off the jaws thing which i think is a a very apt comparison um i yeah you almost i you almost didn't need to see the monster all that much um because it's more about the human response to the monster more than anything and that's the key element that makes this movie better than a lot of monster movies like i love giant monster movies but one thing everyone complains about even with the latest godzilla versus kong is the human element that really bogs the movie (laughs) down and it helped that yeah this was a really quirky family um you grounded it in like their flaws and everything and just the the political satire you know kept it interesting and putting that in the background and just having these weird characters just go through it and you want to see them win at at the end you know, they have a reason to be there. He's there to save his daughter. Like, there's a reason he's interacting with the monster and everything. 
helps like ground the whole experience and elevates it compared to a lot of monster movies. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I actually uh, would disagree a little bit in that I think the monster elements of this movie were really at strong suits and the, the people element was where it, it fell apart a little bit. Um, I, I found the, the family largely to be unlikable. Um, I think that was that, the point, though. They're like, they're uh, idiots. I know, but <laughs> it, it was a little bit like watching The Simpsons try and go yes, on a monster that's perfect. hunt. It's like, that's I don't perfect. I don't like any of these people. But then, but you would get scenes like, like the, the intro watching, you know, when the, the father is, um, try, you know, grabs a girl's hand thinking it's his daughter run it, running away during the monster attack. And the look on his face and, and the panic, that human element, that was wonderful acting, got me engaged right away. Mm-hmm. But then it it cuts to them being overly melodramatic at a funeral, they fight, the infighting that, the between <laughs> all the siblings. I, I, I can believe that won't. <laughs> yeah, that's it, one yeah, of the best scenes. That's the, that's where the dark comedy comes in. You're like, that, I don't know if I no. should laugh at this. But that that it's took intentional. me out of it right away. I, I I think all the interactions between the people and the monster were excellent. The the little girl in the pit when she tries to jump off the back of the monster and gets grabbed, that was one of the tensest movie experiences I've had in like the last year in a movie that hadn't had a whole lot of tension leading up to yeah. it. Yeah. And and so I was just the the swings between. Uh, the human panic reaction and the government and police force in response to this monster, the inner family fighting, um, those I thought all really detracted from the standout moments of the movie, which were usually people interacting with the monster. Yeah, it almost, to me, it felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be. And it, yeah, it I kind of, it kind of felt like that um, when I was, I, I kind of did a brief wikipedia search and looked at like kind of the or stuff like that about what they say about these characters and stuff like that and it was a lot of like well this is uh what is it 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 was probably mostly satirical like it was like okay this is satire this character is satire on this this character is satire on this the whole thing is a satire on this and it's like you have so many different elements that are trying to be satirical i i grant i 100 percent agree with you i it made no sense that the main character just seemed to get stupider and stupider throughout the entire thing to the point where he was nearly incoherent by the end. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the, okay. That's the part that I had kind of had a problem. Okay. He gets stupider and stupider till he gets a lobotomy. And then apparently he's very competent <laughs> and is able to get away <laughs> and everything. Yeah. The, the that was weird. <laughs> trying to convince the police to help him. And they're like, yeah, your, your kid's on the, the, uh, the list of the deceased. And he's like, yeah, she's deceased, but not dead. It's like, <laughs> dumbass, just say you got a call. Like, yeah, this isn't hard. You're, a ghost. you're actually being a ghost as they difficult say that. as possible. I mean, he's, he's trying. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think it's it's supposed to add to the comedy, and I think that's that's fair. That's not going to translate for everyone. I do think it's very weird. It's a weird kind of bold choice, but I think it ends up like working for the movie. And, and I think that 
I, I don't necessarily want to hold the satire against the movie um, because part of it, you know, watching, watching this movie without having a strong understanding of South Korean culture, I'm not going to pick up a lot of these references and satirical comments on a first watch. You know, it wasn't until after where I started reading up on like, um, you know, cultural welfare practices, like the children stealing food with Sayori, learning mm -hmm. about the student demonstrations of the 1980s, the, the American uh, military occupation, that there was a lot of references. And, and like you said, a lot of satire in here that I wasn't able to pick up on, not due to the fault of the movie, but I mean, it was like, watching a rugby game without knowing the rules of rugby <laughs> i i can, I can yeah, see and appreciate moments but i um the the deeper meaning and I, I think the really impactful thing that may have resonated with uh the the south korean audience at the time um didn't hit for me necessarily mm -hmm. i think that's fair but like you guys even said like in the end it's like the monster element is what everyone's coming for and i think that is definitely the standout of just like everyone fighting the monster at the end, like the brother using Molotov cocktails, the uh, the sister finally being able to like launch that arrow, like while it's on fire and everything. And then just Gongdu oh, like becoming like a caveman, smashing that like stop sign. So it's just sharp and just stabbing the thing is very entertaining. And it's very powerful because like they're grieving at that point. Like it's, well, and then they just like steal a kid. <laughs> What's up? And then they just steal a kid. They just like, steal a kid. Yeah. yeah, it's like, hey, our kid's dead. Let's take this one. I did think that was really <laughs> weird watching it the first time. I was like, wait, what? Well, and also they were they were completely immersed in this gas that's supposed to kill this thing. No, no side effects apparently. No, no nothing. It just uh, his blonde hair went away. It yeah, dyed yeah. his hair brown. <laughs> he got smarter and decided not to go with that very weird haircut. Yes. Well, the the Agent Yellow was a reference to Agent Orange. So yeah. the the, the what they'll see as a result of that is is birth defects rather than immediate health concerns and and mutation. Yeah, you know, long term well, stuff. And they very well, <laughs> yeah. knowing this really family, destructive long term stuff. Knowing this family, maybe it was also a sterilization of attempt <laughs> sorry that was but yeah that no was when they harsh. released they showed like they were bleeding from their ears which is a yeah. detail i didn't catch the first time yeah there's well, a lot I, of i don't know a little details a little gags that like like i've said i've seen this a few times like one i noticed watching this time is like the protesters that are trying to get gongdu out their shirt said like kangdu like they couldn't be bothered to like get his name yeah right <laughs> That is pretty funny. It's well, just, and I yeah. think that was a, a bit of a inside joke too. In that uh, King King Ho Song is the, the gentleman who plays Park Gang Do. Um, so I, I think it was a bit of a joke referencing the actual lead actor's name. Yeah. but I I, I could be it. wrong because once <laughs> again, um, I don't necessarily have the the cultural background to pick up on all the comedic references. Yep. That would be really funny because I can totally see based on the budget and stuff like that. They, they did like a, a sent out an email or something saying, Hey, we need extras for this, make up your signs and stuff. And they knew that this actor was going to be in this movie and they just messed it up in some way. Like they tried to get a, give a little bit of information, but they're like, well, 
this actor is like the most famous actor in South Korea at the time. And some of that stuff slipped through, but yeah, I, I didn't notice that Wally. That's really funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, great I, movie. <laughs> yeah, I do I, have to. Oh, no, go ahead, Ryan. Nope, I've been talking too much anyway. Oh no, I was just gonna say I I do. There was some natural behavior of the monster that confused the hell out of me. That okay. I just I like. So it would capture people, save them in like a food place, but then mm-hmm. defecate and release all of its internal refuse back Safe. into the place that it took the food from. And then it wouldn't smart. always eat the food that it would store. Yeah, it just, it. there were some behavioral things with the monster that I didn't pick up on. But like you mentioned, with all those bones and everything coming out, I could have watched a whole whole film of just you that. You should have used that as an attack, yeah. Just the, well, no, like the just bone the girl vomit. in the sewer. That could have been the whole oh. movie. Because her talking to that little kid, trying to keep him calm, like, what are the things you're going to eat when you get out here? Them trying to come yeah. up with a way to get out of the pit. And it could have been just a whole survival film of, you know, get like a get out of the sewers with this monster chasing you. Because that girl, I, I thought um, by far uh, the the um, Park Hyun So uh, played by uh, Koa Sung. I'm going to do my best on these He's pronunciations. definitely not reading that off the card. That's off the dome. I thought she was um, by by uh a wide margin the strongest actor in in the team and yeah, she was and the most likable character i i could have watched a whole film of just her i really like the grandpa too just like he was just a normal dude just trying to keep his family together and like protecting his family and everything yeah but he was a standout too I mean, he he definitely only cared about. It seemed like he only cared about the dumb guy, the main character. They're so he, mean to you. He had, but your other son is an alcoholic, and your daughter clearly yeah. has performance issues. You're not gonna. He, all you care about is your dumb son needs to be protected. The, uh, yeah, I and yeah, like his big speech of like you got to be nice to your brother. They're just sleeping through it. Yeah, it's it it seemed that felt and that goes back to the point that like the the human the just human drama of it all just seemed very i don't know there wasn't there wasn't any desire to resolve any of these issues but then by the end they all got resolved i feel Mm. like like i just felt it felt more organic that way of them just constantly fighting with each other even when you know they've showed that this family just doesn't get along and they need a reason to get along i will say like during the in the third act where they're all like kind of knocked unconscious like simultaneously like the sister gets knocked into the sewers by the monster the brother just like falls i don't know falls from like trying to run away from the police and then yeah Yeah. our hero gets lobotomized and then after that 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 was my only really real problem with the movie. It's like, okay, they're all down and out, and now they're just okay in chasing after the monster. <laughs> that, that was your only problem. What about the the fucking homeless guy who comes in in the last awesome. ten minutes just and turns out to be a major player in the death of the that monster? Was wonderful. Really? Just some rando off the street <laughs> who shows up has like the maybe monster loved the guest. That's wonderful. It opened up like a disgusting flower. I know, but I don't know. I it, there it that 
felt like a, a deus ex machina almost of a totally i'm a fine with a deus ex machina in the form of a homeless man a magical homeless machina a deuce man deuce. i know yeah i mean yeah, there were just, like weird elements throughout this Wally movie <laughs> just like the u.s agent at the end the kind of purposely i think kind of funny looking guy that they have like explain that the virus isn't real there's like a lot of like weird kind of almost otherworldly things happening well, in this movie. but the virus not that that was just tying into the anti-us satire and that that was commentary on us the the iraq war and making moves on countries under the pretense of wmds you know and, it was it was well, just but, the u.s exerting influence over south korea under claims of a dangerous disease but ooh, here we are and also, oh, maybe there's nothing that's also, also something that actually like this the inciting incident of them pouring hazardous chemicals yeah, into the hun river a metric actually, shit ton of formaldehyde yeah was shit. an incident that happened and basically yeah i I, yeah, I do ever read it as uh, them using that as a justification to invade. I read it more as a, okay, we know we fucked up. We don't want anybody yeah, else to know up, yeah. this was our bad. So we're going to lock everything down yeah, maybe, to maybe, you know, preserve our public image. Invade, uh, invade was wrong, uh, not invading South Korea in the context of the movie. It was a commentary on the U.S. invasion in Iraq. Um, and it was just the U.S. exerting influence over south korea um under false pretenses is that what it said in the bio or like the the descriptions or is this something you made up no there um it's a little bit of a deep read but i watched okay. a couple of interviews with uh, uh a couple of interviews with um oh uh uh yeah bong jun ho um who uh, referenced the U.S. Iraq War. Holy cow! What is all this stuttering and dead air? You're gonna have to edit this out because I sound like a total hey, idiot. Keep it in. No, um, <laughs> he, he referenced the the U.S. Iraq War. Um, the uh, rough. <laughs> you, the, you know what? I, I, I give up. Pass it along. Yeah. Basically, I saw some interviews and it, it seemed to line up with the things he was saying, which was what the was referencing in the movie. I th yeah, I think they're satirizing multiple things. Like a big thing is just. The U.S.'s relations with South Korea is just very controlling, and I think you can definitely chalk it up to that. And I'll, I'll steal another podcaster's favorite thing: Unga Pachka. It's uh, too what? much stuff Ryan. getting thrown in. Um, well, I, yeah, like he he keeps adding every time I read something else or talking to you guys. It seems like he has another thing that he threw into this movie when in at the beginning like the the us's basically disregard for its not occupied countries but the countries that it is exerting its influence over that is a perfectly understandable framework for a movie don't throw in the iraq war as another thing that you're also criticizing in this movie it it's too much stuff and that's why everything just seems too jumbled and there isn't a clear defining thing that goes through but, and then... but that's where i was i was going earlier when I, I i'm not sure whether the jumbled read is because of the film or just because i haven't internalized a lot of the 
uh, satirical events the same way a, a South Korean audience would. You know, like if I watch a World War II movie, I don't have to think about, oh, the, the Nazis are the bad guys, the allies joined the war in, in this stage, they were fighting over these pieces of land. That's something we can bring into a film and doesn't have to be explained to us. And, and so we don't have to pay attention and try and grok that. And so I, I think a lot of these elements that he's bringing in, it, it feels full just because I have to pay attention to all of them because it's not something that I've internalized. Turn your brain off. Other events. It, it, yeah, exactly. Well, or just, not, or just yeah. A, a, yeah, a lack of education on the complexities of different countries' relationships with the United States. It, I think that's a wonderful yeah. way to summarize it. Um, but yeah, I... I think there's there's enough complexity in the uh, Korean American relationship that you don't need to bring in things about him saying that this is also a criticism of Iraq. Of Iraq. Yeah, I, but remember, this isn't this isn't supposed to be a film about America. This is this is a South Korean film about South Korea. Sure, there's to see, elements yeah, of the U.S. in there, but interesting. Too. But yeah, it's I I enjoyed because I haven't had much experience with foreign cinema. And so it was really yeah. Yeah, a neat experience. Yeah, dipping your to toes be, into it. <laughs> yeah, to be exposed to a movie where the foundational understanding wasn't a, an American one, where I had to go up and look up cultural practices because, you know, the, the kid can teach his or talk to his little brother about Saori and, and people are just going to know that. But that's, that's, not, that's something that I have to now go out if, if I want to understand all the characters' relationship with food. I mean, they they are poor and own a food stand and, and you have kids looking for, like there is a lot going on in just that three sentence conversation that would have completely blown by me, but um, would definitely be understood by a native audience. Yeah, food is a huge, Bung Joon-ho really likes food as like a representation of, you know, either well like in parasite the scene where they make that very specific dish but it's like all the most premium ingredients it's like uh there he he does say a lot with how he depicts food in movies and yeah this is well, just a big thing to show like for family it's just like family eating together like that's an important thing you know in yeah in parasite and in this movie um there's just like just the scene of them just all like okay they're done chasing the monster or running from the government for a little bit so they're just gonna chill and eat some noodles and they well, yeah, think it's... back to you know nicer times where the daughter was there and everything and that's you know the one time be it a flashback or just a fantasy of them actually getting along or just relaxing as a family just through that food. that scene tripped me out to all hell because i thought she was actually there and i'm like wait did she escape Escape. or is this like the monster masquerading us i i was so (laughs) but on yeah the little school girl outfit and everything yeah i i didn't know what this monster was capable of because there was no parameters laid out so i'm like maybe he's evolving (laughs) but um or maybe just like shin godzilla pardon me yeah exactly (laughs) that's exactly what i was thinking about shin godzilla dressing up in a schoolgirl's outfit and trying to steal some noodles um (laughs) well you need to draw that but um i guess it exists on the internet somewhere yes so uh i don't like do we want to uh closing arguments about this movie or closing thoughts or anything like that yeah maybe go into closing thoughts or could we just do a a 30 second spiral off to just technical aspects really quick like music uh cinematography lighting all that sort of stuff um 
because I, I did want to comment on the music by uh, Byung-Woo Lee. Uh, I think the, uh, the score was fantastic, um, especially the use of horns. The horns in the movie were excellent. Mm -hmm. the, the string parts were solid. Um, I, there was a, felt like a lack of percussion to me in, in a lot of the, the movements where I would expect it to be. And I don't know if that's a intentional instrumentation decision. I didn't get to spend a lot of time researching that specifically. You feel percussion is used in a lot of monster movies, Grant, or just like to, yeah, or would well, you and, and use that a, to better this movie? Um, I, I think percussion instruments can uh, often be used for jump scares and, and tension building moments um, that weren't necessarily utilized here. I do think the music suffered from being horribly mixed. Yeah, <laughs> the, the it balance, was very melodramatic at the end. <laughs> yeah, the, the balance of the, the dialogue levels, the uh, uh, like effects mm. and environment and music um, was just way off the music was either blown out or too far under the the ambient noise um and so i i sort of felt bad because i i thought the score you know my initial read of the the music was i i did not like it at all um but then i went back and listened to just some of the pieces outside of the context of the movie um and especially the the music i mean it was my favorite scene in the film so it sort of makes sense that it also ended up being my favorite piece of music um, uh, but the, the music playing when the girl's climbing up the monster to get to the rope is uh, uh, terrifying and heroic and everything all at once. And, and the yeah. piece itself was great, but in the context of the scene, you, you just, you didn't really get any of it. Hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I thought the mixing was rough. The music was excellent. Um, okay. Would I, either of you guys be able to comment on maybe cinematography, lighting? Um. Well, can I, I'll, I'll piggyback on that. That's not like, I think there are just movies that are like, like, I hate to say it because I love this movie. I just watched In the Heights and that has the same thing where the music is obnoxiously loud to the point where you can't hear some of the lyrics that are being sung. So this, like, I, I mean, I'm not going to take any points off for that because it seems like even now these big budget movies can't even seem to get that right at some point. Um, so uh, yeah, I do agree, Grant. It, it, it does, it doesn't like bad sound mixing can make or break a movie like it or sound mixing can make or break a movie. And I was a little disappointed in that, but um, I don't know. I, other than, I just wanted to throw my two cents in two cents in with that just because I mean, it, seems like there's just people that just don't understand sound mixing <laughs> and it frustrates me because yeah that was a really disappointing part about a movie that i was really excited for and you know it happened in this movie as well that it could have been so much better if you know you weren't losing some of the stuff because the music was overly loud or overly quiet um i uh lighting i i don't know i i didn't do any research into the yeah, those technical aspects of it. Uh, yeah, that's that's I, fair. I just but, I figured they would probably be big talking points of the next film that we were going to discuss. So if we oh, had yes. something <laughs> to, to reference yeah, back can. against on on this film, I, I thought it would be fun. But I'll be honest, I I didn't have any special comments about lighting or cinematography for this film yeah. either. I really liked how they filmed the Han River and just like their them just running through the Han River just made it feel like a big maze and everything. There were just some yeah. interesting shots of like when the um, 
the alcoholic brother separates from the sister and she just like wakes up and um like directly like over the river and everything just like yeah um, she's in that. coming out of a beam or something yeah um overall like yeah it he shoots his movies in a way like where they feel grounded but they're like i mentioned before they just kind of have an otherworldly aspect to it too to just kind of stylize it i guess and um to exemplify that like my favorite shot of the movie is when um our hero is using this like pipe as a spear and he's like directly <laughs> in front of the monster like you know stabbing at it and it's just like roaring and everything and just like the background is super smoky and everything is just very just all like raw emotions just thrown on the screen well and i i just thinking about this on the fly is yeah bong joon ho does really like to use color saturation or like lighting saturation mm -hmm. especially with those gold the golds and that very bright like in the park scene before any of this stuff happened it's super saturated the colors are very vibrant even though there aren't that much of them like that glow from the sun because it's clearly golden hour um even though when it cuts it's not 100 percent sure when it actually is but um it just it's descent into gray palette and grayscale and that sort of stuff during the like struggles of this movie and like there is kind of that and then at the end he kind of throws in it's not like sunlight or anything but the orange like mustardy color of yeah, with the agent chemical at the end um also kind of has a bit of vibrance so it's like okay we're not quite out of it but you know we're moving towards that where it, it's it's an artificial saving or artificial like ending to this where you know it isn't it isn't the nice idyllic place um you'll see that in parasite too when we get to that as well it's he very much likes to depict the like upper class areas as these idyllic very saturated color schemes and then very much grayscale in the the slums area so yeah he he definitely loves to do loves to use um saturation and like natural lighting but na very specific natural lighting to depict to depict different areas but um yeah i 100 percent agree grant it'll uh uh it will be a little bit more prevalent and i'm a little bit more researched mm -hmm. in the next film so um yeah those are Bye. my thoughts on it <laughs> well i i i did pick uh 1917 that was yeah, one of my picks because i i i'm a very technical person uh and i think I think 1917 does a whole heck of a lot. So, well, well I don't know if you want Technicality win over crazy monster shit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> are we going to eat the uh, nine-legged squids or are we going to uh, sit by a tree and reminisce about our family? Yeah, that did. Uh, <laughs> that I haven't tried, but that squid did not look appealing. No, no. Just well, like paper. Kind of jumping back, I can throw out like one little thing is that... Um, yeah, all this stuff looks delicious, but it's all also very much like processed, super junky food. It's like yeah, and just making ramen noodles look good. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's which is very common in Japan, just a cup of cup noodles and stuff like that. But you know, you you can tell in this and Parasite the class of the people by what they're eating, and that's another thing that he likes to do with food and that sort of stuff. Yeah, his movies they got layers, man. Yes. They got well, legs. There's a lot going on. The food, like the 
that one scene in Parasite where they're cooking that very traditional like junk foodie dish, but it's like the the premium like wagyu beef chunks and stuff like it. It looks so good. Um, but yeah, we can stop talking about. Can't that talk really. about Parasite right now, man. I I'm Gotta sorry. Go World War One. I'm not. I, I don't want to tilt my hand, but uh, yeah, it seems like I have a preference. Okay, so um, 1917. Um, oh, those are my notes about the actual war. Uh, so it's a 2019 mm-hmm. film by director Sam Mendes. Um, it utilizes a one-shot style of cinematography that you know other people have used in like Birdman and that sort of stuff. Um, that's one of the biggest ones before this. Um, it tells the story of two lance corporals as they're trying to deliver a message across enemy lines, or at least what were enemy lines in World War One. It uh, it actually won two Academy Awards, one for Best uh, Sound Mixing and then one for Best Cinematography. Um, it grossed $384 or $85 million, and it had an $85 million budget. So uh, compared to The Host, it significantly lower profit margins. Uh, I don't know if that will influence anybody, but, you know, when you're making a $11 million movie and almost doubling or not doubling your money making nine times that back compared to about four times that there i mean there is some there is some leeway with that but yeah i uh i think wally we can start right off the bat by saying you know we did we did think this was a different director we didn't realize it was sam mendez yeah because just the style it reminded me so much of the revenant there's just like yes scenes of just survival out in the wilderness that it's not shot for shot but like very similar and like and like that, you know, you really get into this movie, like, with those scenes. It's definitely yes. a heart-pumping, at-the-edge-of-your-seat kind of movie. Yeah, and that's um, Alejandro Iñárritu. Again, Iñárritu. my pronunciation yeah. isn't that great. Um, I apologize. But, uh, yeah, like, very much feels like that kind of movie, which is definitely not a surprise. Um, I I like the fact that it's World War One. I. I feel like we don't get a lot of World War One movies, and... Uh, because of that, I did end up watching All Quiet on the Western Front, which I would say is the predominant uh, World War One movie. Um, there are actually already thrown this movie under the bus. Well, there's a ton of references to uh, All Quiet on the Western Front in this, including the line where he says, like the whole idea of, you know, it's better not to go back at all. Um, Granted, it does change a little bit because in All Quiet on the Western Front, the main character is basically like, well, all I know is war now. There's no reason mm. for me to go back. I hate yeah. it at home because I, I've i just lived in war so long um, that I can't be a regular human. But that isn't the same message. But it that mentality of it's better not to go back at all is very prominent in All Quiet on the Western Front and very prominent in this movie as well. Um I, I think this movie does well to uh, address like how severe the disconnect was between the upper levels of the military and the lower levels. I mean, every time you see a general or a commander that is high up, they're in these enclosed spaces. They're not even looking at what's happening outside. They're only focused on maps and stuff like that. And I feel like I saving private ryan which is another movie i really like doesn't doesn't have any sort of criticism for the upper brass it seems like it's very much like yes we're doing this it's a holy mission sort of thing and this does have that subtle criticism of you know these 
these generals and these commanders are making these decisions that, I mean, they, they don't seem to have any understanding of human life, or maybe at this point they just have have had to beat them beat that out of themselves yeah i don't even know if it's subtle criticism though because midway through the movie they set up the point of hey when you deliver the message make sure there's witnesses because some men just want the fight yeah um yeah i i i don't even know that i would call it subtle i i i apologize i didn't mean to say subtle if i did (laughs) maybe it was just but yeah it is it is so blatant i mean that last scene when uh oh i loved it (laughs) i well this is just a cavalcade of british stars in this movie yes yeah Uh, you don't expect to see freaking spoilers benedict cumberbatch (laughs) i mean benedict cumberbatch um oh shoot now i can't remember what his name the guy who plays moriarty in the sherlock holmes thing uh he's also in fleabag um he was the when they first leave the trenches to go over no man's land he's the general there or the the guy in charge there yeah he was great Um, just oh he's he's awesome i that actor uh it's like adam scott it's not adam scott it's something like adam scott but not um he had some of the best lines of the movie he did like with the flare gun i hate losing these just yeah like give that other guy shit hey get this guy them a flare gun yeah hilarious because like they like imagine like i thought that was so funny because it's like (laughs) they would have to just launch this thing to get it back to them they go so far far before i would think that there would be any instances where they'd be getting shot at like they're pretty covered up until they go through that big hole and go past the barbed wire Mm -hmm. so i just yeah i thought that was super funny um but then um you also get i think colin firth at the beginning who gives mm-hmm. them the like they yeah it is a cavalcade of stars um and mark strong for like two minutes too yes yes i forgot about that one but yeah that one was very good too but no i i just and, i there's a lot of references in, in this too i actually looked up the uh nursery rhyme he was saying to the baby and it it's very much like in line with the actions of the movie like it's all about these people who decide to sail across the sea in a sieve which is a stupid idea it's an impossible mission but they somehow succeed and get through it even though it was hard even though they had to persevere um and then in the end they get this reward and you know there isn't as much of a reward in this but i there's so many subtle things in this movie that i really i really enjoyed that most people wouldn't look at um mostly because that was a really weird nursery rhyme and i just thought what the heck is that all about but um no i want to get your guys opinion because i i can spiel for days um so what did you guys think what was your initial thought grant you can go first well, my favorite part of the movie was the very beginning when the dreamworks logo flashed up and my wife said oh this is from the makers of shrek yes I mean, God, I love very much, on the, same very much yep. on the same level. My life is so much better with her in it. Um, <laughs> so the movie from the makers of Shrek. Uh, I I loved the, uh, I'm a sucker for any sort of cyclical storytelling, be it 
Star Wars. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> the other ones. <laughs> no, like Lees of Grass, the the poetry book by Walt Whitman. Lots of yes. that that circular style uh, of storytelling and everything. So I love that it starts with him sitting under the tree resting, ends mm. with him sitting under the tree resting. Yep. Uh, I also loved Moriarty's character. Like I said, I thought he had the best lines. Um, I because I'm a uh, uh, an asshole, I guess. Um, I was really frustrated with Chekhov's hand wound when he, <laughs> he, oh my gets, God, he gets his hand cut oh. on the thing and then he sticks it in the body. That, and nothing I was comes cracking up so much at I, that. I'm like, no was, freaking way. I, it's disgusting. <laughs> it, it was disgusting, but like, he doesn't normally, lose his hand. Yeah, it was Chekhov's hand wound that didn't Chekhov. I wasn't like, I wasn't exactly here for that. Um, I was cracking up so much at that. That felt like that was kind of intentional, like, dark comedy there of like cutting his hand and then like of course it's the hand that he stakes in an open dead body absolutely i think uh roger deakins was the all-star of this film he was the uh director of photography and the, the lighting master um you know mm -hmm. a, a common trope you hear with movies is uh every uh every scene a painting or every shot a painting and there were so many moments in this film where i felt like you could have taken a still frame and hung it up as a piece of art um, you know true. when when That's they're true. in the the farm um before the the plane crashes and you get the the side silhouette view of his face through the window with the other gentleman in the background the the portions of the cherry tree the river they i mean i i felt like every other minute i could have just paused the movie and printed out a poster and put it up on a wall um roger deacon Absolutely. just knocked it out of the park um from a, a uh, framing standpoint yeah, it's, um, yeah i the the portions of the the movie especially on a second watch um that there the all the changes in lighting i think do an excellent job of setting this movie up where it almost feels like levels in a video game um and and it does such a good job where to me this felt less like a war movie and more like an art film um, because the, the sense of distance and scale and time passing because of the changes in not just changes in lighting, but changes of color palette, switching from the blues in the river to the whites in the prairie, the, the browns on, uh, when they were um, in the, the cave that was, was falling. Um, it, I lost, you know, this was supposed to take place over the course of a day, and, and there was a specific stretch of distance that they were supposed to cover and i i can't actually tell internally if i feel that it was a positive or negative um but it portions of it just felt disorienting the sudden changes in lighting things felt both simultaneous or felt simultaneously too close and too far away um where you know it was like he's only in the car for 10 seconds did he really travel any sort of distance but you look back and they filmed it over a plane where it looked like okay you can't see this stuff in the distance anymore so i guess we traveled it just um the it, it gave it more of a uh, like an art house nature a, a, it where it almost felt dreamlike or, or that you know levels in a video game and there was cutscenes in between that maybe i missed or something like that i i don't know it it definitely left an impact though yeah it felt human like you you aren't always gonna pick up like you get into a, a car you're not always gonna remember oh yeah this is what 
happened or this is what we passed 15 20 minutes ago that sort of stuff because it's not your focus like you're you're very much in the seat with this guy who's trying to take this matches he's very one track minded and he he you kind of are forced to be that way too and yeah there are there are some points where it's just like god like and the camera work also like also mirrors his mental state in many ways like at the very end it's very ethereal when he's just stumbling out of that river and then he sobs for a little bit and he gets up and he walks and he hears that um hears that song being sung it's like it's very ethereal and it's just like it's almost idyllic to the point where it's like oh a battle's literally about to happen but you don't feel that at that moment you just feel this kind of end of a journey or like this almost giving up moment until he realizes oh i made it <laughs> but yeah i i completely agree grant I, wally opinions yeah no this movie is a big movie just for just it feels very cinematic it's a big experience movie it's a movie i definitely wish i would have seen in theaters um it's it, it like Grant said too, it does. There are points where it feels like a fever dream because it keeps going in this one shot where you're just like focused in this one shot. And I think it's really interesting to see a movie like this in this day and age. Because like, I know with me sometimes I have a short term like attention span. Like there's just so many things nowadays that are quick cut, quick cut, and we're so used to that of just like looking at a five second video on your phone so for like a movie to just like force you into like one position and you're going to go that way the whole movie uh i think is very interesting to watch in this day and age um so did as you far as um war movies go like when we were talking about this movie before i had even seen it i'm like oh what would you compare it to and it it is really hard to um just to just the way it's shot. I mean, there's no other war movie like this. Um, just, yeah, you need to go in knowing that it's not a big action movie. That's not the point of the movie. It's a point A to point B movie. And it's, it feels like an odyssey is how I would describe this movie. Um, maybe a good comparison point is something kind of like Apocalypse Now. That's maybe a little bit more action oriented, but like that slow descent into things getting crazier and everything. Like there's a point of just, yeah, my favorite scene. And I, I, I mean, probably think a lot of people's favorite scene is just the flare going through that like ruined city is definitely the highlight of this movie. And it's probably one of the best scenes I've seen in any movie ever. And that's where like the music really worked for me of just like this awe-inspiring scene. I thought the, the music was okay for the most part, except for that scene. I think it really fulfilled that scene. Um, but yeah, a lot better than I was expecting. And, um, yeah, I'm glad, you know, we did this. So I had a chance to see this movie. I don't know if I would have really seen it otherwise, but I really enjoyed it. And that's a huge part of this podcast is just forcing Walter who is notorious <laughs> and Grant Grant can be bad, but he's usually pretty good about it. Wally is notorious for not watching anything that I recommend to him, which is incredibly <laughs> frustrating. So now I'm forcing him to do all this sort of stuff. But, um, Outed. <laughs> yeah, put you on blast. But, um, I'm surprised that you say that the music music for you was most impactful during that scene. Cause I, on my rewatch, cause I just watched it like 
three hours ago that final scene when he just he he goes over the over the trench over the top one last time to get to the general's like command post at the end like the music there was so spectacular and it gets and wally when we talked about this the other day that was the point where there was these these things that happened that they weren't planning for and he just had to recover on the fly so they wouldn't have to redo it which was him running into those two people that wasn't supposed to happen he was just supposed to kind of weave and duck through it and he just ended up like running into them and then the car that was tracking it with the camera had to slow down and he expected Mm. to catch up and (laughs) like the the music was like swelling and swelling and he had just like gotten hit and knocked to the ground and it's like wow there wasn't like it's almost like the music wasn't expecting this to happen so it just felt Mm -hmm. so real yeah i'm sure the music at that point was great but i mean i wasn't even thinking of it at that point because like all the elements of the movie were working so well at that point of he's constantly running to these you know lower officers like where's the general i need to find the general and that was another thing i wanted to say of it being a single shot really adds to that tension of is he going to find this guy? You even had that at the end where he's trying to look for the brother and you see all the other sh- soldiers that are injured and everything. And the camera really zooms in on all their faces, making sure that, you know, these are all different individuals and you don't know, you know, whether you're going to, who the brother is going to be or not. So. Yeah. I think thriller is really a, a tag you could add to this movie that, that I don't think we've addressed yet where I, I almost felt that, more tense than our our monster movie contribution um in in uh the the worry of fighting other soldiers of trying to track down the the top brass the even the the very beginning where the guys don't know what sort of mission they're going on because you're so tight on them in the camera and the trenches it gives this sense of claustrophobia that doesn't you don't ever get to relax except the same time the characters do when they they step out into that field of cherry trees and you have a wide open expanse and the camera pulls out almost for the first time in the whole movie Uh, i think the only other time it had pulled out was when you looked at the challenge they were going to have to face by getting over no man's land it was one quick pull out and then you're back in and then you had one quick pull out at their first actual breath. So I, you know, even from the start of the film, I, I felt like we, you weren't getting a good breath and that sense of tension um, and and danger carries throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, this is, and uh, just to throw this in, like they, they rehearsed this in, in these studios um, in London, uh, basically, uh, Sam Mendes built these like cardboard uh, trenches and stuff like that. And so they walked these guys through all of these scenes, basically in like cardboard box cutouts of everything, because in order to get it right, they had to track, okay, well, this is like, if they're moving this fast, so we we're, we're tracking how fast they're moving, they're going to need this amount of space that we need to fill or that we need to make up in trenches so that it doesn't look like oh they're obviously slowing down like it's and it kind of just goes back to how meticulous sam mendez was with this whole process wally the flares um just building these like micro sets and then tracking the arc of the flares to make sure that the lighting is going to be right so you see him at key points and you don't see him at key points and you see the 
enemy soldiers coming up at certain points, but you don't see them. And then all of a sudden, boom, they're right on top of you. So I, yeah. yeah. Just the fact that you told me that they did that and the fact that those weren't like visual effects of like the flares and everything that they actually like did that is pretty amazing. Yeah, I think the only two, like they very much avoided using CGI. I think the plane and the river scenes were the two points where it was like severe, like there was CGI. I think they did smoke in the background was also CGI and digitally. And those rats, those rats were definitely yeah. CGI. Yeah, you're right. Yep. No, those are trained rats. Badass rats. <laughs> the circus rats of uh, London. But um, there was one, my one criticism and the one point where the single shot and the, the fact that you're clearly a camera following this guy where it would have easily, it would have been just as easy to have had the camera go up first and just looking at this guy as he walks up the stairs when he leaves. And I do want to talk about this, the scene preceding it too, because it's like, that was such an intimate scene for me. But when he leaves the woman with the baby, he walks up those stairs walks out into the street and leaves the door wide open <laughs> yeah no that was okay. hiding from Nazi, a french woman hiding from nazis with a crying baby and he's just like guess what buddy the door yeah, is just it. open <laughs> yeah it's like i don't give a shit i'm sure the nazis are gonna hear this baby crying if i leave the door open but that was that was the point where i'm like okay well i understand like logistically you need to have you need to leave that door open to let the camera follow him but uh, if you would have yeah. just shot him, because there's a point where you are following him up the stairs, and then there's a little landing where it turns to go up, and then the camera sits on the landing, and the guy keeps going up, and then it follows. Like, you could have just had him going up the whole time, just looking back down at him, and then you would have included that. But that's, I would say that is my only super specific nitpick of this movie, is that one scene, because the second time watching it, I'm watching it for the podcast so i'm like okay what can i what can i pick apart about this movie because this is a movie i chose because i really loved it um and what, what how can i pick it apart because i pick apart every movie but um yeah i if you guys have other opinions or stuff or i could just jump into like how how impactful on the second watch that scene with the woman was mm -hmm. Because... Yeah, I was going to say, I am curious, um, because I've only seen it once. It does seem like a movie that I think maybe wouldn't be as impactful the second time watching it around, where it's like, you know, just seeing it the first time, like that's for the experience. And then, I, f I mean, as a, as a movie, like there's so many points where like I do get kind of bored um, through the movie, where it just kind of feels like a s slog, but like, Maybe, you know, we said that's kind of the point of him, like, right after his friend died, he's just, like, in this vehicle, just, like, listening to this yammering, and it, as it's, like, passing in real time, but, like, you know, that works for this story, but, like, as a movie, I, I just wonder, you know, does this movie really benefit from multiple viewings, or is it just, you know, a one-and-done kind of scenario? Um, personally, so I, I am very much for most movies. I'm a one and done kind of guy. Um, but rewatching this movie, it, it just solidified that I'm really glad that I have it on my list because I could, I'm sure I could watch this movie multiple more times in the near future and get more out of it. And yeah, I, 
I, I totally agree, Wally. That is a slog, but I think it was meant to just highlight how disconnected this guy has to be from just the drudgery of, I mean, what they were doing at the beginning, just sitting around wondering about when they're going to get fed. Um, and kind of not, they weren't joking around, but, um, uh, it, there is, there is like a, a drudgery to certain parts of war, but this guy couldn't, couldn't be a part of it because he was on this mission. He had just watched his friend die for this mission. And so he like, wasn't accepting any of the bullshit. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I, even though, I don't know, I found that scene to be a slog. It still had my favorite element of this movie, which is the human element of people just going on about their lives of like just making fun of their general just like general like sm you know small talk which i mean i don't know if that's super present in a lot of war movies but i'm glad it was present here to mm -hmm. really ground everything like in reality and i sort of split the difference between the two of you I, I, this was also a rewatch for me and i loved the film on the first watch and sort of obsessed over it for a couple of days um, just because I was, I was amazed. It seemed to me to be an amazing technical achievement. Um, I, I thought, you know, we talked about the audio balancing before. This was one movie where it didn't matter if I saw it in the theaters or at home. Um, the audio balancing was fantastic. I think partly it's due to the fact that there's not as much music in it as there is in in some other films. Um, but I definitely think the movie could have benefited from an editor, especially in the first maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, a lot of that walk, uh, initial walk through the, um, the, the foxholes and everything like that, you know, you can't cut for time. <laughs> you can't make edits because this is all supposed to be one cut. Um, so areas where, you know, I, I agree on, on the rewatch, Wally, there were portions of it where it's like, uh, it, it was, I had to actively work to stay focused and engaged. Um, which isn't, you know, is a um, uh, just a byproduct, I think, of trying to go for that single shot storytelling style. And I, I think both of you, because I did see it in the theater. I think, I think that was the um, that was the medium to show it in because you are actively discouraged from like looking at your phone and stuff like that. Because even at points like. I've already seen it. So I wasn't like when he was going through the river scene, I'm like, I kind of know what, like, it's not all that severe. So I did look at my phone a couple of times throughout it where I'm like, I'm confident. I know, I know what's going to happen. I know he's crawling over dead bodies. And so it's not like there's details in the river that I didn't see on the first watch. So I, I completely agree. It, I, there is, there is, especially on the second watch, I guess, if, is that you, because you've already seen it, you're less likely to be as invested in it for the entirety of it. So I, yeah, I totally understand that criticism. Yeah. Um, and I, I do as a, a positive call out, I would love to um, both, you know, beyond just the technical aspect, the, the writing from Sam Mendez and Christy Wilson Carnes, mm -hmm. um, they did, they created a hero with uh, Corporal Schofield that I, loved you know a big nitpick for me in movies um and i i it actually is a great chance to apologize for something i said in the, the first episode of our podcast too i talked about how i liked kate as a strong female character who wasn't written with masculine characteristics well some people have uh, um, politely educated me that you know a lot of those terms 
what is masculine, what is feminine, a lot of that is a, um, carries connotations that aren't necessarily relevant nowadays, and instead I should describe behaviors. Um, what I appreciated with uh, Schofield in this movie, I find strong characters are commonly written as standoffish, they, they can't be hurt, they're uh, single-minded in completing their task, and, and that's awesome, and that's supposed to make them, they're just, they're, you know, quote-unquote badasses. Um, and I loved that in this movie, we got a hero who was um, vulnerable. You know, he, he was crying on the side of the river. He was nurturing with the baby as his friend was passing. He wasn't afraid to show affection and, and hold his hand. Um, having a, a strong character who doesn't have to be closed off and an asshole is uh, something I really appreciate in a story and something that I, I think people skip over a lot of times. And, and I think um, both Sam and Christy did a fantastic job at um, making the heroes uh, likable, making them relatable, and making them strong without erasing all their other character traits in the processes. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I, there is a little bit of conflict with that. Like as soon as they get out of the, the, um, collapsing like German area, like there yeah, is that, really like, yeah, where he's, he's dumping the water all over himself. Cause he's got dust in his eyes. And then he like, like there is that blow up of like, why did you bring me? Why did you, why, why did you have to choose me? This was such a mistake. And like the one thing I didn't notice the first time I saw it was just how, how often it's referenced his like his what he's done in the past for the war effort like he got the medal mm -hmm. but just kind of how he how he treats his uh friend is very much like mentor mentee and you see the friend start to like get a little bit more comfortable he's like check the ridge lines check the ridge lines but for the most part it's Schofield who's doing most of the like leading and like directing because this kid is this kid's super young and you know when you lose that kid it's like okay well now you know i can't i can't not do this so it it there there are so many elements to this where yeah this character has so much depth like uh, i'll jump back because i want to talk about it is the scene with the woman and the baby um you'd think of course in modern cinema they're gonna want to try and throw in some like oh like a you know wistful romantic like oh my gosh you meet this woman and like there's this kind of intimacy of him her like helping him with his head wound and that sort of stuff but it it was such a good plutonic just understanding between these two characters of their situations mm -hmm. and willingness to help each other even with the communication breakdown um and then yeah him ripping the food out of his pack to give to them and like I mean, the milk thing was like kind of like yeah. what, a, like <laughs> I, yeah, that's that seems like a little bit way too much like cinema y, but it is just like oh my god, like I said out loud, fetch quest complete, which <laughs> yeah, no, hurry up, that did feel very. Good. Like I said, I've been getting video game vibes from the movie, and the fact that he had picked up this one random quest item on his way over, and it happened to be the thing he needed. But like, yeah, I like the video game comparison like i i'm the kind of guy who when i'm playing a video game will pick up everything and every, anything mm -hmm. because eventually it might be useful and that guy kind of did the same thing it's like oh there's milk maybe i'll drink it later and it just happens to be the right thing that he needed at that time and it you know in 
every other situation like that's kind of why i like this movie too is that like it is it, it does seem a little bit campy but it is like picking up that milk because after being in war for so long you haven't probably had milk or fresh milk at all and you know having this you know selfish act of taking some milk because it was freshly uttered um <laughs> uh freshly produced and then having it come in handy later it's it's self-sacrificing but it's also just it's something yeah i would do in a video game and yeah the second yeah. we watch it did feel so much more like a video game i was um, gonna say also like yeah it being campy it's like that was the moment of like relief in the movie so for that to be the moment of like oh bringing back the milk in into play like you know that worked i wasn't like oh this is really cheesy or anything like that it's like this is the moment where he gets to relax. It's his checkpoint. It's, you know, he's <laughs> gathering himself and everything. It's so. the safe house. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hadn't considered that, Wally, is the, the moment to, to be able to breathe in the film. That's an excellent point. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah that's And that's yeah, like that's, with the cherry blossoms you guys brought up too, of just like when it looks like he's about to drown and like just like wakes up again and then the cherry blossoms come. I was like, oh, this is, this is beautiful, but... I don't know. Also, <laughs> kind of cheesy too, but it worked in the scene. Yeah. Well, and I, I just want to give a shout out to um. Oh, I just looked up his name, Richard Madden. Um, the guy who plays, uh, shoot, what's his name? Uh, the guy, the kid who died, his brother at the end of the movie. Um, Richard Madden. I, he was in uh, Rocket Man. He was in uh, Game of Thrones. I didn't think he was all that great in those, but the like three minutes he had of like emotion of like finding out, like asking about his brother, finding out that he died, like him going through those motions, getting the rings and just how he acts, like his physicality in that scene was, was stupendous to me. Like I thought it was phenomenal and not something I was expecting from him as an actor. Um, I thought he did really well to convey it's like, oh, I'm still a soldier. I have to be strong. He is like that almost masculine archetype where it's like, I can't even cry. I can't do anything. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, He he is kind of like the main character at the beginning before he went on this journey. He hasn't he hasn't been on this journey where he's basically exhausted himself emotionally to the point where he would break down and cry. But I, I thought that was that was such a well-acted scene for the ending where it's like, okay, yeah, you're still a soldier. So you're still, you know, you're still adhering to um, gender, (laughs) the gender norms of the time. Um, So you got to be the manly man and all that sort of stuff, which is stupid. But um, I, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to give that shout out because I think, I think just in that really quick scene, he did a lot of physicality that I very much thought made the film more impactful yeah he, he tied back in that you know that cyclical storytelling part that i'm a sucker for we get the scene with his younger brother early on in the movie where he talks about how important the metal is and Schofield says no nah, it's just a bit of tin and he's saying no you need to bring it back for your family it, it means something to your family yep. and after blake dies Schofield pulls off his rings the buttons that you know mm-hmm. just the little bits of tin and yep. gives him to his brother and he gets to see you know how much that that does actually mean like i said i'm gonna say this movie does a great job at that that circular storytelling the cyclical storytelling and i'm i'm a, a sucker oh, for yeah. that 
he yeah. starts under a tree and he ends the movie under a tree yeah yeah <laughs> you yeah yeah i know you're saying that sarcastically okay. but for me no. that's bonus points baby yeah, i love no. that sort of stuff i just I'm like how that, that sort of thing it's framed to what i'm curious to hear from you guys like i watched this movie with my dad and he thought the um actor playing blake he thought that blake was the main character until that like switcheroo but i thought like the way it shot you see Schofield like in the foreground and Blake's in the background. I think like from, if you're picking it up on a cinematic um, standpoint that like showing what's closer to you, like, oh, that's the main character is kind of how I read it. So I was well, just curious how you guys saw, like, was it, you know, they were both the main characters or? Uh, Blake, Blake, it does drive the the action up until, her, actually, I would say the entire film because it's it's like to kind of complete this task for him. But yeah, at the beginning, like he's running through the trenches. It's him in the lead and Schofield's just following behind him uh, for the most part. He's the one who goes over first um, in a no man's land. Like he is very much, and they used him as like, you're going to save your brother or you need to go and save your brother. So like he is, and you know, ignorantly so I would say, because he doesn't have the war experience that Schofield has. And so there that is kind of the the um what i liked about the movie is that like if they had just grabbed schofield and said hey you need to deliver this there would have been no he would have just been like no or he would have he wouldn't have acted as rashly to get to that point he would have been like send a pigeon instead all right okay <laughs> Save yeah. me the trip. So we were talking about this before we uh started recording Pigeons and dogs were used heavily as messengers in World War One, So that's one of the things I watched a documentary on it. Um, like carrier pigeons were so common. That could have been there in like three hours. What? Why aren't you using a carrier pigeon for this mission? Why? Especially since you know that the Germans, sorry, for the most part had retreated. So it's not like you're going to be running into a lot of people trying to shoot down these pigeons. It's very like small bands of Germans that are roaming through this no man land or no man land area. Why wouldn't you use a carrier pigeon? It made no, no sense for me. Like the no, fact that they're like, our phone lines are cut. Well, carrier pigeons have to be trained on location and hadn't they been advancing to their current position at that point in the film? So, I mean, from like, if we're going to like, yeah, is it possible like, that they haven't yeah. trained a, a new set of pigeons for that new location yet? And not like, this is a weird tangent to get off of, but. Well, I, I guess. My is, yeah, I guess. That's a good question because yeah, I'm not. I don't know the logistics of uh, carrier pigeons, but my assumption is they. You they start raising more pigeons. I know I do. Um, mine all died in a tragic uh, boating accident. Um, Let's not speak of it again. Yeah, we can't speak <laughs> of that anymore. The, the pigeon massacre. Of Wait, were you boating or were the pigeons boating? That's where he made the mistake, man. He thought they were ready. Pigeons were boating. You know? Okay. Hindsight's twenty twenty. There was a squirrel skiing behind them. It was. It was horrible. The squirrel actually survived, but he lost a leg. So, um, yeah, pretty devastating. Um, no, I, but my assumption, and this is probably completely inaccurate, is that mo like the messengers who would work with these carrier pigeons would like advance them, and then it would be that they were going off of like where they were at. Like they would, I don't know if it's, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, I don't actually understand carrier <laughs> pigeon logic. Um, 
Like, you can't send a pigeon for a man's job. You guys got it. <laughs> yes, the pigeons are all busy. Sorry, they outrank you. Wait, wasn't there? Wasn't there actually like a carrier pigeon war movie, an animated one back no. in the day? Oh yeah, like it's oh, called Valiant or something. Yes, like that. yeah. yeah. The 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 uh, prequel to uh, uh, the prequel to nineteen seventeen Valiant, where all the pigeons either get <laughs> injured or complete yeah, like I, so there's none left. <laughs> Well, and I, like uh, the the latest Battlefield game had like a carrier pigeon scene too, where you're flying around as a carrier pigeon. So like that's awesome. They need yeah. to make a whole game around that. Yeah, but um, what else can we say about this movie besides um, the pigeon tension? <laughs> um, I yeah, I guess we can. I mean, it's it. I guess we can kind of have final thoughts. I will say, um, and this is going to be a big spiel. Um, I'm really torn because, like I said, I watched All Quiet on the Western Front, and I thought that did such a good job of, like, trying to understand. So it was made in 1930, you know, uh, 15 years, or not 15, 12 years after, or 11 years after the war ended, um, by Americans trying to depict Germans um, fighting this war. And I thought... I, I'm torn because I thought that movie did a great job of Americans trying to see the other side, other side's point of view, which is not something a lot of war films do. Um, but, you know, I, I just love this movie because it's, it's so cinematic. It, it feels like a, a movie experience. Whereas all quiet on the Western front, I think was great as a book. Um, so I, I, and I, I will say I just love this movie, and I, I will I will fight for it any day of the week. I think I think it's phenomenal as just a feat of cinema. Um, yeah, that's all. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. It's it's it is a phenomenal feat of cinema, and I think you know it'll be interesting to see you know where people go with with this movie of works that are you know inspired by it like seeing more one-shot movies um and i'm i'm really glad i saw it but um at the at the end of the day i was just kind of wondering if is it really saying anything different about war compared to so many other war movies and i really don't know if it does at at the end of the day and just kind of again curious if it'll really stand up on a rewatch um Shut up, Odie. <laughs> but um, wait, that's your cat? I thought you yeah, had like yep. a toddler in the room. Oh yeah, he does yeah, too. He, he's, he's, oh my gosh, he's like a toddler. Come on, buddy. He's just simulating the the baby crying in the movie. He's like, I really love that scene. <laughs> he loved that scene. That was his favorite scene. Um, but uh, yeah, it's you know I'll let Grant talk. I won't. I'll well, talk. no, I this one's uh, tougher for me than I care to admit. If you had asked me after my very first watching of 1917, or immediately after watching um, uh, the host, uh, I would have told you 1917 hands down. Um, but having done a rewatch of 1917 and having time to actually try and research and understand the context of the host and try to understand some of the, the satire and everything you referenced, referenced Quinn. I feel like there's, there's really a lot in that movie that I could unpack. Um, I, but when it, it comes down to it, I think for me, um, more than anything, the, uh, I found 
Schofield in 1917 to just be a really, really likable protagonist where I couldn't really um, connect with the family on a whole and the host as much. And I felt 1917 just had a, a cleaner execution in general in terms of cinematography, audio mixing. Um, I think the, the, the host was a triumph as far as monster movies are concerned because I'm not a monster movie fan right. at all. I don't like horror movies. I don't like monster movies. I enjoyed the host. It kept my attention throughout. Um, I was uh, engaged and appropriately scared at times. It was a solid film. Um, I just think when it comes down to it, 1917 had a very, very clean execution, um, a really likable set of characters. Uh, I think I personally have to give it to 1917. Gotcha. And I, I, uh, I will agree, Wally. I, th I found it interesting that you, you categorize this as a war movie because I think earlier you also said it doesn't feel like a war movie or it's, it, it's an odyssey, almost. And so, like, I, like the war aspect of it is such a like, like it, it is the, the environment, but I don't think it's as involved as. Go ahead, Grant. You know what could have been fun would have been 1917 versus the Ten Commandments. That would have that would have been a movie parody. You know, two epic feeling, two uh, Odyssey like films. I, I like the fact that our brackets were totally random and we yeah. have just these bizarre ass. Schofield's way more likable than Moses. But I do I do Third. think 1917 versus Ten Commandments that could have been a fun conversation to have. Well, but I think. You know, the host would have crushed tonight's tail <laughs> You know what? I think they both would. I think those two would have been a better match too. You know, just as they're sort they're of more character they're, based. They're yeah. genre films with mm -hmm. with um that have a variety. You know, I talked Weird about in on in a Night's Tale how much I love the variety of sports film and old western and Bong Joon Ho did very much the same thing here, where you've got your comedy thriller monster movie family drama um uh, political intrigue yeah you know i i think like, switching these pairings would have made for <laughs> maybe more interesting conversations but that's what we get for being a uh freshman year hindsight podcast. 2020 well, but <laughs> i i the the biggest thing i wanted to do at least with this podcast from what i was thinking about is that like there isn't there isn't any rhyme and reason to this like it the movies we chose have to stand up on their own against any movie because if we're talking about mm -hmm. the best movie of all time it needs to be able to go up against any sort of movie in any sort of situation um that, that's fair yeah and so yeah i yeah we have some wild picks like um uh what was the one um apollo 13 versus hercules is coming up in a while i was gonna like, say isn't kung fu panda going against lord of the rings <laughs> kung makes fu no sense lord of the rings our next pairing for next week or next month will be monsters incorporated versus as above so below so a, oh, a children's monster movie versus a a pretty severe like claustrophobic horror movie or a scary thriller um but oh, i get yeah so grant you you said 1917 uh yeah, i will I agree with that i will say i i would like to see 1917 moving forward wally i am the odd duck out <laughs> with that again because like i said with the last one i'm looking at what was i more entertained by mm -hmm. at the end of the day i was entertained very much by 
both movies, but I think The Host is something that I will be going back to quite a bit, and I can't really say the same for 1917. Sometime, Wally, I'd love to watch The Host with you. I, you it. know, I I had yeah. to I I ended up watching that one on my own, um, but I I think watching it with someone who can help give me um, uh, where I can feed off your love of monster movies at, at the same time yeah. watching it. I, I think uh, I, I'd be excited to experience that together. Well, and yeah, I, and this, so I'm kind of hedging my bets because I think Parasite is a, a superior movie to the host. I think it-, it Oh, I agree with that for does sure. Does the genre <laughs> or it does his style and criticisms and all that sort of stuff a lot better. So I yeah. think- like the host it it is good i think it's the sacrificial lamb because i already know we have a a better bong joon ho movie coming up it will Um, be nice having experienced the host i'll have a little better contextual understanding of the the background and events in parasite so i'm I'm excited to see not giving too much away about parasite like again yeah i would say that parasite is the better movie of his two but like you know he made the host a while ago and you do really see him grow as a director just between those two movies it's good to see from where he was to where he's at now and yeah he's a lot stronger yeah that's yeah that's a hundred percent true and yeah like he he refines a lot of the the social criticism stuff from the host in parasite so. and i think he makes it more for an international audience with that too like i think the classist themes in that movie are going to be a lot more relatable to the yes. average person than they were in uh, the host so. but he does include like uh south korean uh specifics that are are good to know any like their mm-hmm. their tutor culture and stuff like that where they're elites i feel like that's not something we we have in america as much and just i yeah all right let's not get into it we now. have we just don't know about it <laughs> yeah we're too stupid i guess um that's true um but I, yeah, I, okay. So, uh, 1917, we'll move on. Um, should have went with Gojira instead. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, we should definitely plan on, yeah, watching some of these movies together. Uh, I think that would be really great. But, uh, yeah. So, like I said, next week will be As Above, So Below versus Monsters Incorporated. And I keep saying next week, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> next month. Uh, yeah, we are doing a monthly schedule. I know this one is going to end up going out a bit late, um, but I think we're going to try and do the 15th as a release date. Um, just... And hopefully we'll have new banner art too. Well, yeah. I I know we will because somebody said before the podcast that he had completed it and it looks great. Um, it's, it's, it's funny that it's referencing a movie that isn't on our list. <laughs> it isn't on any of our lists. Both captains, yeah. Um, it's Captain Phillip. Yes. Yes, it does. It does work in that respect, but it's also yeah. But I just thought that was funny. So um, yeah. If you want to, uh, well, Grant, do you want to say something? Because I was just gonna do the spiel. No, you, no, I got another. I said enough. I've, I'm okay. tired of hearing myself talk at this. I was point. gonna say I I have spoken so much this podcast that I feel bad about it. Um, but uh, yeah, you can follow us. We're on Instagram at uh boat underscore pod, and uh, we're on Facebook too at uh boat podcast. So uh, do that, but we will see you next time. We're casting off. All right. Love you guys. Bye-bye.